Welcome to Discology Music Club. I'm your host, Billy Sims. Discology is a music podcast where we listen to an album and we meet up to discuss. In our journey, we will talk to all sorts of people from all walks of life about the music. On this episode, we're talking with Diana and Sean about La La La. So let's talk about music. So it's been a few uh, years since La La Land, like two, maybe three, and even more so since Whiplash. And I still have a huge boner. You you couldn't get 30 seconds in without making a Whiplash joke. So Whiplash is the reason that I got him to see this film. I finally convinced him to watch it on a flight. He's got a big boner for jazz. So you just have to say jazz music. and It didn't work for the longest time. And then I finally (laughs) got him to watch it. And of course he was obsessed with it. Yeah, you did. And I love you for it. I saw Whiplash for the first time on a plane. I saw it from California. Yep. Yeah, we were flying back from California, and I saw Whiplash as a why, what the fuck, why not? And when I saw it, I remember I took the headphones off and I poked her violently <laughs> in the shoulder. And I was like, holy shit, you were right. This is really, really good. This was really, really, really good. Miles Teller was actually, he was good. J.K. Simmons was amazing. Doesn't matter. But why the f- when did you become a fucking expert on what I can or cannot do, you fucking weepy willow shit? I will stop being so polite. Get the fuck out of my sight before I demolish you. But more importantly, to tie it back to La La Land... Well, Miles was supposed to be the lead role. Yeah. He yeah. was the lead role. Miles Teller was the lead role. In Whiplash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was supposed to be the lead role in La La Land. Was I he really? I did yeah. not know that. Oh, that's so, that's so, so fucking amazing that he wasn't. Emma, Thank Emma God. Watson was supposed to be Mia... And then Miles, whatever his last name is, wow. was supposed to be Sebastian. That movie can go suck 18 farts. Like, <laughs> fuck that movie. The reason that I liked that movie was because of the pacing of the music. The music was so well done. It was so... You're talking about Whiplash? Yes. Okay. Uh, it, it, it was like a journey, and by the end, you hear Caravan, and it's solo, and you're crazy in love with the movie, and then they have the ending, and I'm not going to spoil it, and, and you're infatuated with it. La La Land had the same pacing, which made me really love uh, the, the relationship between Damien and Giselle and Giselle. Which, that's more so why I think La La Land is worth talking about than Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone, the Count Basie bands, the, the original compositions. Those are fine, but the fact that these 30-something-year-old kids created like what's arguably the most important piece in jazz in the last... 10 years and then released it like publicly and almost won the Oscar for best picture. That, that's a re- big fucking deal. They almost released it like a pop album though too. Yeah. Like it was such a big massive hit and it's sort of presented in this nice tight little package. Diana got it, uh, the vinyl for me and it sold out first run. It really? sold out. I got you the second round after the first batch had sold out, but it was still the first printing. But isn't it. it so cool that it sold out? It because was, if it sold out, that means everybody's well, yeah. listening to it. That means everybody's like wondering what the fuck Miles Davis is, wondering well, what John Coltrane is. And Ryan Gosling's talking about like The Bird and Charlie Parker and Chicken on a Stick yeah. and all this stuff. And everybody who's seen that movie, all right, that's that's not fair. A lot of people who are seeing that movie are like, okay, I know who Charlie Parker is, but I didn't know that he was called The Bird. I didn't know about Chicken on a Stick, and I'm going to figure that shit out. So Different Kind of Blue sold out. 
in uh, That's cool. like four days on Disco- uh, Discogs or whatever the fuck it's called. Yeah. And uh, that's awesome because I like jazz a lot. I have a big boner for jazz, like you said, but I'm not like a big jazz nut. But it's just kind of cool to see other people then now get into that. Like, yeah, like appreciate the thing mm-hmm. you're sort of appreciating. Yeah. And like La La Land, it was like a gateway for a lot of people because Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone are both easy and affable you can digest them easy and then it's just going to lead you down the rabbit hole of, oh, wow, I really like this. And you keep going. But it was a hidden gateway because that movie opens with Another Day of Sun. And that movie was marketed as a West Side Story hipster musical. And it worked. I think it was bringing everyone back to what the musicals were at their height. So I am a Gene Kelly nerd. I agree with that. It didn't remind me of a hipster musical. It reminded me of a let's try and recapture what used to be and what musicals could be. And I know he said... He made Whiplash in order to be able to fund yeah. La La Land, so, which was his. I want you to talk more project. about singing in the rain and all that stuff. But remember the very beginning where it says like presented in Cinemascope. You said it, or the film said the it. Film. I, oh, the film. The yeah. film says Cinemascope, yes, and then it I remember, opens up. <laughs> I remember that part. I didn't. That is a you. pure call out to uh, the Gene Kelly musicals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're, you're absolutely right. I was more saying it was marketed as a hipster thing. Um, but I, I, you know what? I take that back. Anyway. We're kind of on the origin story. We're on the origin story of La La Land a little bit, but like the origin story of how you guys found out about it. Like, was it through the marketing and stuff? Was it that no, you just not told? even not even a little bit? So I have loved jazz since I was like 16 years old because of my uncle Jim. Uh, he got me into like you know trios, Brad Melthow, Coltrane, Davis, Monk. Like all the just all name the, dropping, right? Yeah, just all, all the hits. Names. <laughs> well, that's, that, those are like the most known names. And then I, I took it upon myself to learn more about like Pat Metheny, which is like jazz guitar stuff, and uh, Joshua Redman was like more saxophony shit. And Diana and I were dating for a little bit, and she's like, "See Whiplash," and I already told you that story. And she's like, I want to see this movie called La La Land. And I was like, no, it has Ryan Gosling in it. It sucks. <laughs> I want to see this shit. Ryan Gosling is overrated. I have never been happier to be so wrong. We saw that movie opening night, and I was like, oh, my fuck. Opening night. I think, I, we, I think we saw it opening yes, night. Yes, we did. I had been anticipating it for months. So you're a huge musical nerd then. Like, you've got a boner for musicals, and he's got a boner for jazz. So I yeah. do, and as soon as I heard about it, it was doing the festival circuit, and it was getting rave reviews, so I just sort of kept an eye on it and kept tracking what people were saying and how it was going. And it started with a limited release, and then it was the broad release, and I convinced him to go with me to the limited broad release. release. No, we saw a limited release. We had a limited release in Hoboken. No, we went in Freehold. Do you remember? It came with a free Clearly download. Not. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, it was cute. It came with a free download of City of Stars, and we danced in your parents' house before we went to see it. I can't listen. Yeah, no, I, I loved it. It was it was great. You first saw the movie at a limited release. You knew about it and everything. You dragged him, and he finally got. Well, that's kind of cool. That's cute. I had no idea about the movie. I had not given two Same. shits about I, it. Well, you say you didn't give two shits. Did you know it existed? I didn't know. I didn't even know it fucking existed. Only until like the the actual like. Did you know, Patty the, tell you? I think Patty told you. The movie marketing 
uh, beforehand I knew was around and then people were talking about Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone and it's like it's so fantastic oh my god they're so wonderful <laughs> uh. and yeah like I'm yeah. like yeah okay cool it, doing my own thing and then my girlfriend Patty wanted to see it of course it's I had to do the boyfriend tax at that <laughs> way right and then she heard you actually say that you really liked it yeah the second that we got into that movie on Facebook I got like a fucking 40 like post or something because I said, holy shit, La La Land is the movie of the year. Um, because you all saw it, right? So no spoilers. The ending. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to sp- speak about it, but I'm not talking about the actual ending. I'm not talking about the, the Crimea River, Justin Timberlake thing. I'm talking about the uh, singing in the rain, virtuoso, amazing uh, musical montage that happened right before that. The dream Which is, sequence. Yeah, the dream sequence. Sorry, I couldn't think of the word, so I made a bunch of words instead of dream no, sequence. No, but you know what? I love that comparison to Singing in the Rain because there is that Gotta part. Gotta dance! Thank you. Gotta dance! Yes, that part. Gotta dance! Gotta dance! Gotta I, always make me crack up whenever he screams that shit. <laughs> Yeah, he screams it right at the fucking camera. But it's so good because yeah, they no, find yeah, I'm a not way it's to, bad. It's really good. to make a story within a story by putting together this amazing musical number and song that. But that was another nod to like everything. old Broadway, old musicals. Mm-hmm. You True, know? but he also. Um, so I have a huge man crush on Justin Horowitz, and I know that he loves the scene. Damien Chazelle loves the scene, but. He loves singing in the rain. He loves Gene Kelly. He loves Fred Astaire. He loves like Garfield and and all those guys. But he doesn't. He didn't do this for singing in the rain. He did this before Whiplash. I know you know that already. He did this a while ago, like on a, a program. What was it called? Like Basic or no, no. Uh, it started with an F. Fuck. Uh, finale. He did it on a program oh. called Finale. It was like a MIDI orchestrated program, and he he actually like wrote City of Stars and all this stuff on finale okay and the reason i bring that up is because he had this music in him mm-hmm. and when you have a song in you it's not going anywhere until you actually like cut it like you have to cut it you have to record it you hear it you live it and then you're good and then you move on and that's why i think they could do whiplash these kids damien and justin they were uh damien chiselle being the director of whiplash and la la land they were in a band. The band was called some Chester French. Yeah. They were in that band. They got one of them got kicked out. I think. I think they left. The two of them left, and then the Chester French went on for some moderate success. Like so, they were like sitting there thinking, "Oh man, that was our shot." Yeah. Like you know, these two major Hollywood stars now, like big players right now because of this movie, winning an Oscar. And, and no, sorry. Did not win an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Almost. You know, they, they have a lot of notoriety and, and success with this stuff, but they sat there at one point thinking, holy shit, the train left without us. Basically. Which I think is good because that inspires you. That that makes you mad and that like gives you more like, you know, fire on under your butthole. But yeah, they were they were in Chester French. They they left. Then they did all this work and La La Land was their passion project. And the soundtrack to La La Land is amazing. So just to bring it back to the music for a little bit, let's talk about Another Day of Sun. Because the movie opens with a number, and immediately it is major chords, it is a major harmony, it is fantastic, you have this really beautiful uh, female voice, she's like a soprano, she's singing falsetto, and it just calms you down, it's fantastic, but the song itself 
is depressing as all fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that that was a genius move, so. and I never heard that before when I... I never heard that before until I heard Another Day well, song. I think it's like a major happy musical song celebrating your inevitable failure. Well, no, that's the whole point. It's about like, wake up, fail, try again, rinse, repeat. And and if it's and if you fail, which you probably will, it's cool because everyone does. It's another day of song. Without a nickel to my name, hopped a bus, here I came. Could be brave or just insane. We'll have to see. Like it's cool because everybody does, and at least you're here. But at like, least you tried. I want to talk about that. That's where I like this movie and all that sort of stuff with it but I think to talk about that we also have to talk about the origin of the movie like you, like you guys are saying these guys wrote it they met at Harvard they wrote it together they actually sold it they were going to make this it was going to be set in Boston wait what 10 years Whoa. ago it was going to be set in Boston 10 and years the, the, ago they, yeah they wrote it like 10 years ago where did you find this information uh, it's called the internet what <laughs> where did you I never heard that that's <laughs> wow. it that's, that's yeah, enlighten us, please. So, so, so they were gonna make the movie, and they got it picked up. It was gonna be set in Boston. The whole group. Oh, had, instead of the planetarium. The planetarium. Gotcha. It was gonna be in the Boston Museum, I believe. Cool, cool, cool. So they got it picked up, but they wanted rewrites. So they wanted instead of being jazz, they wanted it to be a rock kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, and that would pushed work. for that. Yeah. Well, we so don't know that. We don't know that really. They they got a million dollars from an investor, and then they they were like, "We want rewrites to be a rock thing in Boston," and he's like, "No." So they opted out of it. Then he obviously continued his life. He moved to L.A. Eventually, he did Whiplash, like you said, to mm-hmm. make the money to make La La Land and notoriety. They were able to make La La Land through Whiplash. And then he changed a bunch of stuff to reflect more what his life was, like going from Boston as a jazz musician, musician to L.A., being a transplant. And that's so much the story of everybody. And it's so weird because like every day is like, oh, it's another day in paradise in L.A. Every day it's like, oh, everyone's so bright and sunny and positive. This story does that. But the undertone, like you're saying, it talks about all the day to day. Like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I'm not making it. I'm not making it. I'm not making it. Even when the answer's no, my money is running low. Just keep my candy on low. It reflects, you know, that travel from Boston to L.A. That reflects 10 years of trying to make this movie and then not for 10 years and then eventually getting the chance. You know, that's all super important for this, uh, the, yeah. the origin, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I respectfully disagree with a little bit of that. What part? Um, the, uh, the grind part. Because uh, this story, La La Land is about a love story. And I think it's guised as a love story. Sure. Yeah, okay. I agree with that. It's a love story intertwined with. Wasn't a, talking about Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. I was talking about being in love with your dream. That's where I was yeah. going. It's about the pursuit of a dream and a goal, and what you're willing to sacrifice for it. The sacrifice word is is key. If you if that's what you're saying, then I totally agree with you 110 percent. Because this is a story about being caught up in. Uh, excuse me, La La Land, yeah. which is being there, being on the hunt, succeeding a little bit, getting everything you want, and then ultimately, as Diana just said, having to make that call. And it's that call that's so important to me. Uh, like, are you going to go for the dream or are you going to go for the relationship? Are you, know, you going to go for your, uh, for your job or are you going to go for your life? Like, that to me is key. But the music is all a major happy 
like show until you hit City of Stars, which is kind of the coming to terms with reality part of this. Yeah, they definitely key changed too on purpose. Yeah. And, and he wrote this music, and this is so fucking sick. He wrote this music before he wrote anything in Whiplash, and before he did anything in that short play about a red bench or whatever the fuck it is. Like, he wrote City of Stars on a keyboard in his dorm room at yeah. Harvard. It's then crazier to think that it went from being set in Boston to set in L.A. because... And- City of Stars, I mean, it works on so many levels for True. I don't LA. know if it was called City of Stars. I just know it that he wrote wasn't, the melody. But he, wrote, he wrote the music. But, yeah. but you're right. You're, you're totally right. If it was in Boston, it'd be completely the, different. The only stars would be the fucking TD Garden and, like, everybody throwing up because of alcohol or something. <laughs> Shout out to Beantown. So you were talking about how, like, most of the music is in, like, a major key. No. Up until... No, I never said that. What, no, okay, sorry. What did you say? I said that up until that song, it is in major... Uh, it is in a major key. Up until that song, okay, it's yeah, in a major Okay, yeah, yeah, and then it sort of swaps. And then it starts to go into the minor for City of Stars because that's, yeah. like, upsetting reality. And then right after that, when they go on their little car ride after they kiss and you assume that they fuck... Like, then it, then it gets into, like, a major, you know, a montage of, like, oh, man, this is the relationship. Everything's great. Everything's yeah. awesome. And then right when they're having a problem, you know, it goes back into the minor key. And he's doing that totally on purpose. Well, like, he's doing that, like, intentionally because it's, like, the ups well, and downs of the relationship. that's what I'm, I'm going to blow your mind on that. He completely is doing it intentionally. Obviously, musicals and the depth of that, intentional. And this is his opus in a way. Like, I don't think it's his best he'll ever do, but, like... It's I don't think there. it's his opus. I think this is, he's just getting started. And I think when we turn 50, mm-hmm. he's going to come out with something that's going to like fucking blow us away and make us cry buckets. Because this dude, specifically okay. Justin Hurwitz, he is good. He's so a really then, good composer. I don't know how he is as a musician. I don't even care. The kid is like writing notebooks on notebooks of material. Like if he wrote this shit when he was 27... What the fuck did he write when he was like thirty? So then, if anything, then I should stand corrected and say this is his, this is a mastercraft. This is a master work of. I think things. so. Yeah. But either way, he did that on purpose with the music, where the music is only when they're happy. Because the second they stop being happy, that point where the they she does the performance and stuff, and things are problems. Like that John Legend thing is like the song is like the last point, and then it time skips. Or like a bunch of shit happens. There's no music in that. He only put the music in when they're happy. I think this is about chasing dreams and chasing dreams in the big, I'm going to be a star. I'm going to be an athlete. I'm going to be an astronaut. Those dreams down to the little dreams. Like I want to have a partner in a relationship. I want to be. That's a big dream. But it's, it's such a daily thing. That took me a shit long time. <laughs> yeah, man. Like um, that's the whole point of it. That's what the whole thing. It's not about sacrifice. You can have it all. It's just. A process, and you have to make choices that's going to divert you. Because even then, they both got what they wanted, and did they, they just though? had. It. But yeah, did they though? That's the whole point of the ending. Uh, now we're in spoiler territory. Spoilers, everybody. But the movie came out like three years ago, so fuck you. <laughs> you should just go see the movie. Um, yeah, no, they didn't get what they wanted. They got the best version of what they could. I don't think there was compromise in it. I do. You don't think that. John Legend's song showed compromise. Yeah, he that, that gave was, up. Oh no, for that sure. was the embodiment of compromise. That but both of them were like, "This is how we're going to make money. This is how we're going to pay for the life that you want." Which Sean and I have to very eventually get different to life, feelings about the John Legend song. That, to, that song fucking sucks. to eventually get to the life <laughs> that I want. 
though. Yeah. So it's all about a means to the end. And it was weird because it's almost like the push and pull of life. Cause like she's talking on the phone with her mom and then he overhears it and then he starts feeling bad. Like I should maybe do this. And then they have that conversation when they're fighting. It's like, this is the dream, right? I'm living the dream. I'm a musician. I'm touring. I'm doing this thing. I should be happy. You know, it's about chasing dreams and like the happiness of that. It's not about sacrifice or compromise. Yeah. For the record though, that scene, and I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. I got so mad when we watched it the first time because I <laughs> yes, was like, I wanted to scream at the fucking uh, the screen and go, you're both fucking idiots. Because like the way that, and I'm sorry, this has nothing to do with music. This is really <laughs> just a movie. Like that could have been solved with like a 10 second conversation. Like if, if Ryan Gosling wasn't a fucking creep and like, I'm going to listen to your to your conversations on the phone and I'm just going to make my whole life plan based off what you're telling your mom right now. Uh, that could have been solved. Like, hey, hey, Diana, I have this job opportunity. Do you want me to take it? No, you shouldn't take it because uh, it's not your dream. All right, cool. Well, fortunately, I didn't take it yet. So yeah, glad, but how glad, much, glad we dodged that bullet. How many times do you <laughs> self-doubt yourself? You know, how many times do you, you already put that wall up in your own head? You project yourself. I do it. She does it. She does it. He does it. Everybody does it. It's yeah. such a human thing. And that's what the whole like, especially Another Day of Sun does. It's like. I'm just going to go out and try harder next time and knock on the door. Trying to be this hopeful optimism, that that motivational poster you see on Instagram now. It, but it's undertoned by that whole, I failed. I'm going to fail. I want to keep failing. And then at the very end, I think it's so brilliant. It takes you right back to where you are with the car horn. It's another day of sun. That was so smart because you have the car horns. Really, uh, I thought you I have this like big fantastical dance number, it was the and it takes of the you sound. out, and then it just brings you right back. They're sitting in traffic, and wasn't that's about that. What life in LA is? I actually liked it for the same reason he hated it, which I actually really liked. Because the car horns or yeah. the, the timbre? No, the timbre. Oh. I, I liked it because it was on key with yeah. the song. It felt off key, but it was, but it was off. Yeah, yeah, but it hit the note, but it didn't hit the it note. It hit it through a car horn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's not going to sound like pleasant, and like, but it's going to sound there. It was meant to jar you back to mm, reality. To reality, sure. I feel like you don't see that very often where they use the surroundings so, in the song. So that's part of the cinematography like of Damien Chazelle, right? And that, that's like one of the reasons that he's so fucking smart well, because he's like addicted to the craft and he like knows what he wants. But... Justin Hurwitz to again have a man crush on him uh, the first song that he ever wrote for La La Land was the Me and Sebastian theme and he called it well that makes sense because it's sort of like the anchor of the whole movie it's of a theme yeah but he didn't actually plan that he only wrote that because Damien Chazelle asked him what do you want the movie to be about and that's all he said he was like what do you want the movie to uh, I don't actually know what he said I just know what I heard. okay and he was like, all right, give me the song that the movie's going to be based on. And he wrote, and if you listen to that whole thing, it's sad as fuck. Yeah. And it is basically, you could assume that it's like this ballerina type of nutcrackers, sweet shit, like a Tchaikovsky type of, you know, arpeggio. And it's beautiful and it's nice and it ends on a minor. Ding! Like it's fucking sad as shit. So imagine being Damien Chazelle and being like, all right, cool, man. That's great. I'm going to build a happy musical based on West Side Story in modern day about, like, living your dreams based off of this. 
that to me is one of the most impressive things about La La Land because it's not about it's about following your dreams, sure, but it's also about the admitting that you will fail. 90% of the time, this movie is dedicated to the 10% of people that keep going and the 1% out of that 10% that succeed. I agree with that. That's the super what I feel like it is too. It, it's also about people's reluctance to fail, that they don't want to. Like they both started getting mad at each other because they were starting to fail in a way. Like they were supposed to be successful, supposed to be doing this thing, but there is this like overtone of failure and then it breaks when she does her performance and nobody's there. I don't know if that's I don't know if I agree with that. I think that they broke because they didn't support each other. I don't think it was because they failed. But how do you mean they didn't support each other? He literally showed up at her house, find, found her parents' house in the middle of the night and like did that effort and told her about the audition. Sure, like, but he wasn't at the show. And he yeah. was living a dream that he didn't want. That's also, the, the of course, the caveat of things. He's at, He wasn't at the show because he ha- had to do the other thing. And it's like, I'm doing that thing to do my thing, but also to help you do your thing. Because he his thing was supporting hers at that point, too. It's so complicated when it comes to stuff. Like, where are you going to be mad? Where are you going to be sad about it? We're talking about the movie a lot. Yeah, we are. Yeah. So uh, the music really uh, conveys all these sentiments musically. Like you're saying, there's a lot of layers, a lot of tones. They have these sweeping moments and then they have a brass section that comes in and it like it's really proud. And full, full disclosure for the brass section thing. Sorry, sorry to cut yeah, you yeah. off. Uh, I have like three trump cards in our wedding and one of them's a brass. Uh, one of them I chose on the band and all I care about the band is that I have a brass section. That's all I care about. And he got into that idea after La La Land. Because brass equals love. Like it's if you feeling. hear if you hear brass, your emotions are on fucking it's crack. It's impact, yeah, yeah. It's such impact. That's the best word for impact. it. Impact. You hear like it's that a hero note. moment. Like Hans Zimmer and them, those guys, they'll do it like Dark Knight. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're watching Interstellar, they just cry your eyes out for yeah. fucking days. They and do it amazing. The horns too. are there for feeling emotion, and usually it's a bold, proud, courageous moment that they use it. La La Land used it the whole time. Honestly, it felt a lot like Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, like Wish You Were Here kind of stuff. Where yeah, it sweeps in, you right. have a French horn come in and just like briefly just sort of tone it, and it just changes your feeling about it. So something I noticed uh, the second time I listened to the soundtrack was the uh, repeating nature of the me and Sebastian theme. Um, didn't hear that the first time. Because I was listening to them. I was watching. No, fuck me. I was listening to the movie. I was letting it take me on. And I wasn't really watching it because I was like, all right, love story, California. I don't give a fuck. But I was listening to it and I was like, it's beautiful. And then I remember hearing the second time. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, that's the me and Sebastian theme. Then I noticed something incredible that almost made me cry. I'm not a crier, but it almost made me cry. The last movie that made me cry was Isle of Dogs. This, (laughs) This almost made me cry. So when they're on their first date, they play the Me and Sebastian theme. They're in the museum at the planetarium. They play the theme, and then the last part, they halftime it. They go, na 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 like a waltz type thing.
and um, they they put brass at the end. Yeah, and then they kiss, and then it goes like you know, it's just yeah. like a, a shutter on them, and then he pulls up in the car, he goes on the one way street, and he like backs up. Yeah, and yeah, says yeah. Wednesday. It's a time skip. It's very, very, very cute. It's adorable. Then <laughs> this is so fucking sad. Then when he's at his bar and he's playing the piano and you're in the dream montage, they play the same theme, yeah. but they slow it down and they add a choir. So there's they're it's dancing. Ghostly. It's haunting. Yep, they're dancing in space, and then you hear the same melody. It's like da na 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 at that tempo. Yeah, and you hear a choir, and I'll always remember that. Because it was just so well executed, and that's why I have such a big boner for Justin Herbert. Because he's yeah. taking simple melodies and not extorting them; he's amplifying them. Because he doesn't need to complicate it. He's not like fucking dream theater. He doesn't need to fucking go. Look how good I am on guitar, piano is so fucking cool. He takes he's- a simple melody and he uses it artistically. To convey a story in the best possible way, he is... He's ready yeah, for depth there because go. there's a lot of layers like and emotions to it. Like you said, doing it in one tempo versus another. The music definitely conveys the sentiment and the feelings of the whole journey really well. I I think so, too. While you two can speak to the more technical aspects and what instruments create what feeling, I feel like even just listening to the album the songs can convey that emotion that you don't even need to be watching the film. You you can sort of be yeah. transported back to that moment in the film. That's good Remember composition. Remember those emotions because of the way that they'll even take the same theme. I don't think you even need to see the movie to have those feelings because of it. Thank you for saying that because we were debating this before we were recording. I don't really like the movie. I don't really like going through the steps that the movie forces you to go through. But you do the same steps musically, like I don't have to. I've listened. Well, if you if listen you, to it on shuffle, if you look at my Google Play, I, I've listened <laughs> to Another Day of Sun fucking thirty eight times. Okay. I haven't listened to uh, Someday in the Crowd more than ten. I and, I really like Someone in the Crowd. Yeah, Someone in the Crowd. Sorry. Yeah. I feel it does the same thing as. as I feel it is the same thing, and that's why I don't listen to it. It's the same fucking song twice. I I don't know. I think it localizes it. It's more that the music is the same fucking music. Here's another day of sun. Remember that? And here's someday in the crowd. Someone in the crowd. So what you're basically saying is that he has a motif rhythmically as well as a motif literally. It's like the a theme. same fucking he does a lot, thing. He does a lot of stuff, and it's on purpose. Yeah. Another day of sun is, is. Sorry, I sound like a really big naysayer right now. I wanna, I wanna exemplify. I love the song, but I, I'm not like I don't really give a shit about it that much. But if you connect the two, they're the two pieces of the L.A. experience. If you're trying to break into Hollywood, you have the go on auditions every day, day in, day out, feel the rejection. And then you have the I'm going to do whatever I can to hope that I meet that person that you're right. helps me skip all That's of that. That's actually very well said. You're and right. I think the second Sorry. I think someone in the crowd does a, it localizes it. And I think it does a better job at portraying the uh the sadness of it how because the whole emma stone character oh, visually end, yeah. no, in the beginning 
she doesn't want to go to the party because she's tired of dealing with those people. She's tired of being rejected. But well, then she, she get like coffee spilt on her or something. Yeah, like right before that. Then that localizes it to one person. Now she's trying her hardest. She eventually decides to go. They have that big like Gatsby party thing and it's like so this and that. I love the song at that point because it goes to that slow bridge where everything just sucks away to her own head. And I've been at plenty of parties like this. Like being a musician. Fancy man. I wish, I wish. I don't know, just like being on the brink of something and you trying to make something happen. It's like... What's the what the hell's going on here kind of thing? Like you're part of it. Like it's such a big facade. And like that's what I feel like that party was for Mia. You know, so she go you you sort of musically go into her head where it's like, I'm miserable. Uh, why am I doing this? I'm trying to be someone. And then it sort of like teeters back into it. Like she's sort of ramping herself back up to like the da 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 da. It's the same musical. But isn't that when she leaves? The party? That's when she leaves. Yeah, she's leaving the party. Like right before she leaves. Yeah. yeah so like the part that whole like she left. Like she like I remember because that guy jumps in the pool. Yeah. And that's like one of the coolest when fucking parts of that movie. That's so fucking awesome. Yeah. When the three sixty camera thing does the the spinny Rooney thing, she left and then the music resolves itself and makes it happier because she's gone. Well, so it's not because she's say. gone. They were doing the whole thing the whole time. Exactly. Yeah. It's just that but she's it, she's a buzzkill. No, it's, back. it's. I think she's a buzzkill. It's that the world's still turning without you. Mm-hmm. And it's the in your head versus external yeah. experience. Maybe you have fun every second you're at a party, but I can relate to the. Yeah. I'm dancing. I'm having fun, and in my brain, I'm like, when is it time to go to? I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, and that's sort of for me what that captured and yeah. then the way it built back up they did a great like, job musically of that yeah yeah. it also felt like the in your brain everybody taking that time to amp themselves back up of I need to yeah. recapture and portray that I'm having fun and maybe I'll have fun if I act like I'm having fun yeah, yeah, yeah. and that build sort of brought it back for me totally it still plays on the whole happy sad thing it does a lot of like rhythmic triplets, like like this. It's the whole big thing throughout the entire album. It, it really felt like someone in the crowd uh, kept the whole horn theme, the rhythmic theme, the motif musically going, and like I said, it brought it down to a local level of an individual internal struggle and kept it in the whole La La Land Hollywood vibe and feel because you know you're out there to be famous. That's all you do. I was happy the entire film until they started having relationship problems. So even though the music may have done that, it didn't matter for me. What mattered for me was more of the surface level of what they were going through. So when Ryan Gosling was dancing with this old couple on City of Stars and the husband like got mad at him, I thought that was really well done and cute and beautiful. And that's actually when I fell in love with Ryan Gosling. Actually, no, that's not true. I fell in love with him earlier. I fell in love with him when he was at the on the guitar at that uh, band. 80s party. Yeah, that, yeah, and I was like, oh, he's going to be such a piece of shit. He's going to be a snobby fuck for the whole movie. And then I realized, oh, okay, he's playing a character. I'm getting played right now. This is fantastic. He is a great actor. This is beautiful. And did you know, no hand double. He did no, all of yeah. that shit himself. Yeah, him and John Legend actually both learned new instruments for this movie. What, or, did, what did John Legend uh, learn? The oboe? Guitar. 
Really? He played the guitar. I assumed that that man could play everything before this movie (laughs) came out. Because John Legend is a fucking saint. And I love John Legend, but that song fucking sucked. I enjoyed it. So John Legend learned how to play guitar for the movie. Uh, Ryan Gosling learned how to play piano. He uh, rehearsed two hours a day, six days a week to do it. When they shot the, after they shot the first day, John Legend was actually like, like play mad uh, uh, at how quick Ryan Gosling got good at piano. I would too. Imagine being Justin Hurwitz. Yeah. Imagine like <laughs> doing this thing for six years and being like, oh, okay, yeah, you but, play my fucking song. Fuck well, you. Also, I'm going to slash your tires. They didn't expect him to have trained as much as he did. Yeah. So they thought he was going to go in and not quite play it perfectly and they had somebody ready on backup but then he had been so dedicated to the role and worked so hard at it that they didn't even need backup if you're ryan gosling and you find a role where you can be gene kelly you're gonna be Gene Kelly. He literally watched Singing in the Rain every day. You're gonna, you're gonna work your and fucking Damian, ass off. And Damien had movie nights every Friday night for the whole cast where they watched Umbrellas of, of Cherbourg. Yeah, Top Hat. They even watched Boogie Nights. Top Hat. Why? Wait. Yeah, Mark no. Wahlberg? I, I, I think that's the one they're talking really? about. I, I, that's what Heather I, Graham gets naked in that yeah, movie. Yeah, that's the only thing I know about that movie. secret for you. <laughs> Sean, I already knew it. <laughs> All right, I'm going to take us back around. All right, you do that, Diana. So, Sean made the point earlier that someone in the crowd and another day of sun are these bright, happy, sort of similar sounding songs. And I just thought about those two are when Emma Stone thinks that she hates jazz. As she gets to know Sebastian, right. she gets introduced to this type of music and her mind gets expanded a little bit so it could be that that was a decision to make the sound of the music change true as her exposure to music her experience yeah because after that moment everything gets a lot jazzier they go to the the club uh, the lighthouse club i think yeah they go to the club and he's like this is jazz it's great a little bit of a cool fact that I saw, which kind of goes into the feeling I had of like Pink Floyd, the moment they're walking through the Warner Brothers lot and she says, yeah, I don't like jazz. That's the same exact spot that they shot the, the Wish You Were Here cover. The two guys like... The guy on fire? Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I really enjoy that. We're just two lost souls swimming in a fishbowl. This is very Pink Floyd-esque because there's so many layers and like the form and how orchestrated this is. The rest of the album is very jazzy up until the John Legend moment and the right. compromise. Which is when he himself, Sebastian, moves away from jazz a little bit. But he it's only a little bit because even then the piano solos, he's doing these descending fifths or thirds that are just like... That's so jazzy. The lead in like, the, the, the walk that he does in the piano. Oh, you guys are talking about when John Legend ruins the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, my favorite part. That. My favorite well, part where John, think, Led- John Legend takes a, a huge mega shit. I think he's reality, and they take a bite of reality, and they realize it's not what they want, and then they break up because they're both in La La Land. That's the, that's the whole fucking point. I don't know about reality i think it's he was successful either way but it's the type of success you had he did one for him he's got to do one for them 
basically. You took the words right out of my mouth. It seems like you hear some successful celebrities talk about, I make one film for them, one film for me. And it seems like that's what that song was. Before we started recording, we were talking about people we know who have a goal of playing the kind of music that they love, maybe to a smaller audience, or have a goal of being a big fancy pop star, and then you got to make the music that the people want to hear. you got to make the music that's going to make the money. And that's the difference. It's two different goals. It's do you want your smaller audience, and do you want to be true to yourself? Do you want to be an indie artist or do you want to go for the big recording label and but the I, fancy But I tours? get that part. So, I mean, you liked Anchorman 1. Yeah, of course. All right. Did you like Anchorman 2? And that's what it is. John Legend's song in the middle of uh, of La La Land is Anchorman 2 so in deep. the middle of Anchorman 1. <laughs> so deep. It's It has its own purpose and point. I but actually, it I, get, I get it. I get it. <laughs> it's so fucked up that I get it. <laughs> Boy. That escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Yeah, I stabbed a man in the heart. I saw that. Sorry, you were saying? He try, In the beginning of the movie, he tries. He's, he fails at making the club for whatever reason. He goes through this journey with the love story, and that's like this one little dream. He then chases Keith's dream, John Legend's dream, right? And like, that's supposed to be the dream. That's making it, right? He hates it, obviously. They fight partly because of it, because it made him do things he didn't want to do for things he didn't want to do to eventually do what he wanted to do. At the end, he eventually gets what he wants. But like, would he be able to have that club if it wasn't for Keith's journey? I can relate completely to that. I want to sit there and make all the music that I want. But fuck, you're not going to want to listen to it. It's not just about what he likes. Yeah. Well said. I think that's smart. I think it's a good way to think of it. But fuck Keith. (laughs) (laughs) So... We're talking about the movie a lot, but if we talk yeah. about the music a little bit, Start a Fire is near the end of the film. Yeah, that's actually, um, that's the last time you hear music, uh, so it's the last point they're happy. Until the until dream sequence. Until the dream sequence and stuff. The audition, actually. The audition when she gets back into Oh, things, that's, that's right. right. Yeah. That's like everybody's audition song that's in musical theater for like the next five <laughs> years, because they all think that they're this like fucking hot shit, yeah. and every casting director on the planet... It's probably like just, oh, fucking Christ. Heard this song 20 times today. So Emma Stone visually kills the performance. That uh, The music in that song is beautiful. She destroys that song, meaning like it's really, really good. I think she kills it because she's crying. She's a really great actress. It's very uh, raw. It's very raw. Yeah. You got the whole 360 thing, also, him waiting outside. But that song itself is absolutely just like reaching like crazy. To me, that song is overrated as all hell. Because, like, they should be feeling that and they shouldn't have to say it. Here's to the dreamers that dream. Great. I agree with that, but you don't need to fucking tell me that for four minutes. Well, yeah. We're supposed to celebrate the people that try hard. That's what we're supposed to celebrate. That's what we should celebrate. So that's what you feel like the song should be saying. Yes, I do. I Like, that. that's why I said the whole dumbass politically correct disclaimer, which I do believe. (laughs) Emma Stone kills it. Great, great performance. She sings the song great. It's a beautiful song, except that the lyrics are fucked. So which one's a bigger audition song now? Um, well, I think Another Day of Sun should be your audition song. It's another day of sun. Well, I was going to ask Emma Stones or from The Greatest Showman. 
Oh, definitely. This is me. Definitely this is me. I am brave. I am bruised. I am who I'm meant to be. This is me. Look out, because here I come. Because that's similar. I embrace who but I am. At least that, that, and that that's is a my, power song. That's my point. That song's about who you are as an individual and why you're the best. The dreamers that dream is like, here's to the artist that made something on a friendly's napkin. Fuck you. Like, I, I want to talk about the people that try hard. Those are the people that are going to succeed. Yeah, but like you're also talking about an industry, most of it, music, acting. It's not just about how hard you try. You could try your fucking hardest, but you could still suck and that somebody doesn't give you the chance or you just don't have that lucky break. There's give, a lot of opportunity involved in these things. Give me a dollar. Mm-hmm. I'll vote on the guy who tries the hardest. You give me all the people that you can line up. I will find the guy that tries the hardest. I will bet my dollar on that person. You are absolutely right that it is a fucked industry <laughs> and that anybody can succeed and that, you know. And then nobody could succeed. Yeah, like, uh, what was that guy's name? Edward Hung or something? Oh, uh, William Hung. Yeah, sorry. William Hung. Oh. Like, that's the type of world this is. And, like, America's like, got talent. That's what fame good. is. That's what, like, like quote-unquote success is in that way. It's not about how talented or hard you try. But I sometimes think it's just about that opportunity that get a lot. Of, that's what viral is. Sometimes is the keyword you just said. That's what viral ends up being, too. It's just how many times this thing's going to get looked at and sure. how many people are looking at it. Totally agree with that. But and I'm an odds man. And if you take all the odds... Mm-hmm. And you're definitely going to get your Edward Hongs, you're going to get your tape faces. William Hung. William Hung. <laughs> she I'm so obsessed with this guy oh, being Ed. So I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. Um, I will totally bet my money on the guy who, or the girl who tries the hardest. Like, because that's the person that I think A lot of see. it, what is it? If you're going to do the odds and number two, it's about perseverance too. Like the longer you like, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson says, you know, do something that somebody else isn't doing. And then just do something else that somebody else isn't doing. You got a badass over here. I don't know how you get that. <laughs> and like, as you keep going, there'll be less and less people around you. So like in that way, perseverance is really what you're saying. Gives you more chances for opportunity. You know what? But that doesn't guarantee success. I'm about to check my ego at the door here because I think I fucked up. The whole movie Emma Stone is trying. Like yeah. the whole movie, she's like, uh, she's on her phone. And he's not trying the whole time. Exactly. He's she's she is trying. She's on her phone. This actually happened to Ryan Gosling. I'm sure you know this already. She's on her phone and somebody walks out on her during her audition and she just like keeps going. And then she comes back. and She's like, thank you. We have we've seen enough. So she tries her ass off the entire film and then she's successful. So everything I just said on my little rant about the people that try the hardest, I think is validated based off of this. Like, I think that is why I root for Emma Stone and not for Ryan Gosling, who was at a bar, ran into his bro, Keith, and it was like, yo, bro, want to play guitar or fucking keyboards or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. And when I, hey, you want to have a career? It'd be, it'd be pretty sweet, right? That'd be awesome. But I think that's what the song's about because she's singing it. And that's why I'm so infatuated with her performance of it and not the song itself. Because I, I, she suffered and she's crying and she's like, fuck you. I am so tired of this fucking shit. And by the end of that song, you're like, you're tired with her. Yeah. If you've ever done an audition, which both of us have, uh, you you get it. Diana, have you done an audition before? No. What were you about to say? I was about to say, I'm here too. You said both of us. 
Well, we have. You haven't. Yeah. No. Have you? Have you done an audition? No. Like school well, plays. But even like a even like a job interview is an audition for a job. Yeah. And that's okay. a real vulnerable thing. You have to like posture and like So basically, yeah, have you been vulnerable in front of a group of people? That's what's And this waiting really for them to decide your fate. That's the biggest, biggest thing. It's such a tough thing to get in front of people for a job. Because, uh, you know, you might be, I've had plenty of jobs where I knew I was more than qualified for stuff. I had one guy tell me I'm too qualified and that he saw himself in me and didn't want to hire me because he didn't want me to be where he was, which is so like, uh, like, yeah, like, and I think that's kind of like what a lot of people go through in a lot of different ways. And like what La La Land sort of exemplifies in the dreamy Hollywood acting sort of way. But, you know, there's mu- there's journeys that people take through music, through acting, um, through all these different arts. But then there's journeys that people take through finance jobs and, and accounting jobs. Like there's about finance jobs, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like in more like grounded work, quote unquote. So it's I think it just speaks to like the human experience, the journey of the dream, you know, and the dream being something grand and big all the way down to bottom level. Of, I just want to have a, a house, a dog and some friends. Yeah. Um, here's a question for you. Question I've been thinking about since you asked if we could do La La Land and and uh, Justin and Damien. How and why do you think they wanted to write a musical about succeeding in Hollywood and failing in real life in terms of their dreams and in terms of their relationships when they were 27? Because they're seeing the future and it is such a relatable story. You can go down, if we bring it all the way back to Singing in the Rain, which is such a different time and such a different world, it's the same thing about... It's like a making it story. The dreams and, yeah, the making it. But they didn't start that story yet. They were writing that story and finished it when they were in their dorm rooms. But it was also a, sorry, they were in a band, right? Before that, they, it was going to be set in Boston originally. I would not doubt that that was sort of a conversation. Like as an aspiring artist of any sort of field, you got to ask yourself, what if, what could be, what is it going to lead to? So them being 27 year olds at Harvard, they were already in bands at that point too. They knew what it could mean. It could mean Keith situation. We're going to be making money, living the dream that way or not. Or is it going to be what we want to do? Are we going to compromise or not? Well, they finished it at 27, but they started writing it when he was 22. I'm 31. That's nearly a decade ago. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine having this sort of clarity a decade ago. But you're also a, a, a different type of person. So you don't love when people think of worst case scenarios. But that's sort of what this film is. It's them taking all of those possible scenarios. We can go and audition and audition and audition and nothing will happen for us. We could But they're both meet successful at the end. What are you talking about? Yeah, so it ends with the... If you were writing a movie about something that could be your future, you're probably going to take a rosy picture at the end. But this talks about them thinking of all the paths that that they could take. They could really, sell out. They could yeah. 
They could meet someone and get to do whatever they want. They could have to sacrifice relationships, friendships. It's sort of weird because, like, in that way, like... So is it a magic eight ball of whatever the fuck could happen to them? The whole story wasn't really about their success. They don't tell a lot of depth. You don't know how... Mia became a famous actress or Sebastian became, you know, got his club, you'd see the journey of what really was the first steps to getting there. What really made them like, what was their break basically? And the, the difficulties around that, like, yeah. So they're not even talking about an eventual success story. They're sort of talking about the journey. Um, and it starts off with the journey of failure. And by the end, it's like the hopeful, I think I could do it. I put my hands in the air because as a musician myself, I don't know how to do it. That's why I'm, that's why I have a podcast. (laughs) If I could do it, I probably would have, but I questioned myself if I can at that point too. And I'm sure they did too, like in that way. And I think that's where it came from. The sort of questioning themselves, like, can I do it? Uh, you said that like Emma Stone really kills it on the, the audition song, right? Sure. Um, a lot of people didn't like Ryan and Emma's singing or dancing. Like, even in the audition song, she has a lisp. I think it's good. I think Emma Stone is really, really good. I think Ryan Gosling singing um, on his baritone level is a little weird. Uh, what's that song called? Um, the one that they tap dance on? Oh, Lovely Night, was it? Lovely Night. A Lovely Night. Yeah. Uh, it starts with... The sun is nearly gone. And when you hear that, you're just like, I don't want to listen to this song. And it's a good song. So so Ryan Gosling being a little deeper, you know, as a deep guy myself, I, I get it. It's a little like, it's not normally what you think of when you think of like a musical with a man singing like a lead. Um, but no, I'm still And I think I heard... And so is he. He's great too. When we heard City of Stars before we saw the film... I was a little nervous about that. I was like, this isn't a powerhouse best singer I've ever heard type of voice. But I think it sort of worked more and felt a little bit more authentic in the film for me. When I found out that he played the piano himself, I I didn't give a fuck what his voice sounded like to me, totally honest with you. So I'm biased as all shit. Well, and I think it goes back to the point you sort of made earlier where... uh Broadway is going to do it differently than film. Yeah. They couldn't convey a lot of the emotion um, in the same sort of depth because it's more of a cinematic old school, like the Casablanca look back kind of stuff. And it, it, it captures all of that. And I think even the way that the music is so grand, it's, it's hard to capture something like that in a theater in yeah. It's so impersonal in a theater because you you are always sort of removed. You can't really get those sort of close-ups on the like facial features and whatnot. That is my constant comment when people criticize Les Mis, the film. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of close-up scenes in that, and it was a little... A little over the top in terms of the close-ups. But Russell the way Crowe sucked. I really liked it. But I, I will kill this man for bread. Now, prisoner 24601, your time is up and your parole's begun. You know what that means. I yes. would say that the way that I viewed it is 
I've seen the play multiple times on Broadway, but the thing you miss in a theater like that is getting to see the emotion on the actors' faces. And so that's what film can sort of supplement. It can give you these sweeping visuals of people dancing on cars that you you can't get in live theater. And I love live theater. I love Broadway, but... It, it just gives a different sort of yeah. feeling. Even the dialogue has to be different because it's such a projecting, I'm talking in a theater kind of thing. Versus a film, you can be more conversational human, basically. You know, if I can relate to you talking, then I'm going to relate to you. How many times have you seen the movie? That's a good question. Yeah, I bet it's like one, maybe two. I've seen it And three I'm going to call you both out on your shit. I've seen it three. Three. Three times. Really? Yeah. From start to finish. Yes. Hmm. Okay. I mean, you don't I just stand corrected. pick it up. I, I don't I, know. I like, I've listened to the soundtrack more than 10. Yes. Like, I love the music. I've watched that movie once. Oh, I actually. I don't need to see it again. I, uh, I know what fucking happens. <laughs> you listen to the soundtrack so much in the like first week after we got it that one night... We came home and I oh, guess shit. we're trying to like <laughs> mimic the feelings of the, of the movie. We wound up dancing on the island in our kitchen and jumping off onto the couch uh, you while know, you, we you danced know around. The crowd, you know that part where the guy jumps in the pool? Yeah. I timed it perfectly. Perfectly, I might add. I jumped from the island <laughs> onto the couch and it went. You can do what you bump. want. And as I'm on the couch safe, I'm like, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, guys, we're 30. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, nothing broke. It was good. That's awesome. So I actually saw the, the, the movie three different times. The first time I was sort, uh, sort of dragged there, I, I didn't know what I was in store for. I absolutely loved it. I loved it so much that immediately after the movie, I was like, we should go back and see it again because it was like it was so iconic to me in the way that like I'm not going to get the experience of it in a theater. Didn't and you guys see it in Philly? Didn't you guys the, like the third time uh, we saw it in Philly um, with an orchestra or something? Yeah, a live orchestra played wow. it with a movie. I offered you guys tickets I and remember. you turned me down. Yeah, why? You didn't know. You. That's why. <laughs> Schedules were off or something. Mm-hmm. It was like a Tuesday or Wednesday, and it was at seven o'clock in Philly, so we had in to leave at like three or four. Uh-huh. They had the Philadelphia Philharmonic play the live orchestration over the the. And it was it was really cool because the same thing we were talking about the horns and the feels, just having it live was that much better. Mm-hmm. And they did a really good job overall. Did you cry? Yeah, I've cried all three times that I saw it. Not to be the Larry David of the crew, which I totally, you already are. I totally am. <laughs> um, when I was on the money earlier in this show, <laughs> like maybe twelve minutes into the show. And I went that I have cried at maybe three movies in my entire life. La La Land was not one of them. If I were to have, mm-hmm. it would have been during that choir scene when I realized it was a failure of a relationship, a failure of time, but time well spent because it achieved their dreams. And that was them both admitting in that one moment Thank you. That was a thank you. That was a thank you to both of them, like in some cosmic weird space, because they're like, thank you for letting me realize who I really am through you. And then he comes back to the single. And you get fucking depressed. 
Yeah. Like that that was genius. And then and then he fucking nails it with um they mm. leave, they smile, and yeah. then the cinemascope thing pops up and he's like, <laughs> <You're> like <laughs> And I always thought that was really cute and really funny because I was like, Fuck you yeah, but that's how they did like Casablanca and shit, like mm-hmm. that big mm-hmm. ending on top of that moment. Yep, that that to me was the best moment in the the whole movie because yeah. that, that made me feel a lot of sad sad thingies. Musically, what was the best moment? Um, I think Another Day of Sun is my highlight. I think it just I can't listen to it without being put in a good mood, and I kind of love. I can just listen to a song and it immediately brings that out. But what about you? Yeah, what was your favorite song? Oh, it's definitely uh, John Legend's it Start was, a uh, Start a Fire. Patty knew I was going to say <laughs> No, it for was... Realsies, uh, for realsies, though. For realsies, the dream sequence at the end. Yeah? Um, yeah, it was a celebration of music throughout the entire movie. It was a score. But, like, that wouldn't be good unless it was set up by everything else. Correct. And but the execution of it was just so genius that I felt more in that three to four minute scene than I did in any part of the movie. Like, I wasn't really invested in whether or not they'll, they'll make it or they won't make it. I was more invested in their dreams. And I wanted to see if they would make it as professionals. And when I saw her, you know, that she did make it when she was at that coffee shop, I didn't even care about her husband. I didn't care about the kid. I cared about the coffee shop scene where she like pulled up those two hookahs and she's like, thank you. And she tipped the girl and she never got a tip. That to me was my favorite, my favorite scene. The, uh, and musically, sorry. Yeah, musically. Musically, it was definitely the montage at the very, very end. What about you? What'd you like? My favorite stuff was either Another Day of Sun or Someone in the Crowd because I felt like someone in the crowd really emphasized the struggle that an artist might go through, like having to go and do all the nitty gritty. It, it was really spoke to me in so many ways. So that had to be my favorite easily. dream sequence was really nice though the, the musically how it reprises everything in that whole movement and swings you back into all the different emotions that makes you feel throughout the thing even if you're not looking at it if you're just listening to it it's such a profound thing it's kind of interesting too because you've been very pragmatic the whole time like how you're sort of speaking about a lot of these things so that's me jumping into in like, general yeah something like the dream sequence it, it's it's not really a pragmatic thing in a lot of ways. The movie does such a great job of being a metaphor for life through jazz. Mm-hmm. So like musically, it does a wonderful job of just bringing you through what it might be to live. And the dream sequence does that. Do you know, um, do you remember that scene in the dream thing when they do chicken on a stick and it's like an animated sequence where they go to Paris yeah. and he opens up chicken on a stick and it's done. And it's like a callback. It's a throwback, rather, to when she's dancing. Yeah. And it'll go to, like, Emma Stone, like, a four count. And she's, like, doing some fucking dancing thing. 
That to me was the most powerful part of the movie because that's when you realize that that life does not exist. That it's fake. It's not real. And that was the true cost of their dreams. The the whole because you because you, you knew didn't go it to was Paris. Paris. Yeah, you okay. knew, you knew they were never going to go to Paris and they were there together. And yeah, that's when you realize that shit was not going to go down. But if I didn't want to get too deep musically, uh, someone in the crowd would be my my favorite feel good song. Like I've listened to that enough times where I want a rock version of it, and I'm thinking of recording it on YouTube. Like that's a great song. It's it's just such a powerful. So what you just brought up, Billy, about the ending sequence, if we made those parallels again to theater, it's almost like they're about to begin the second act. So right after intermission, they often kick up the orchestra and they recap the songs from the first act of the play. And it brings you and bridges you into the second act. So it almost leaves you at the end of the film knowing they each have, Mia and Sebastian each have a second act coming. That's true. It's a, such a hopeful thing. Off to our second act. That's such a great way to put it. Off to our second act. I really like that. Yeah. You should thank Diana. She oh, thought of come up with that? Uh, not yeah. the phrasing. Smart girl. Smart boy. <laughs> Smart everyone. Go team. <laughs> High five. So I think that about wraps it up. Any last comments about the the music, the the actors, the the director, the composer? What did you like? What didn't you like? Well, if anybody has sat through this whole thing and hasn't seen the film yet, please go see it. At the very least, listen to the album. If yes. you sat through this whole thing and you haven't seen the film yet, you're fucking stupid. <laughs> you should you should have seen the movie by now, dummy. Who knows? Maybe they're more of a Moonlight fan. <laughs> I think this is only the start for Damien Chazelle and Justin Horowitz. I think, you know, he's been nominated for Best Director twice in his two debut films. So I I think we'll get to see more and hear more from them. And I'm looking forward to seeing what they can come up with next. My, my final thoughts. Um... Thanks for listening to this rant of La La Land and uh, Damien Chazelle and Justin Horowitz and our impressions on the music and the movie. Uh, a lot of it was on the movie. And, uh, you know, for that, I don't apologize because the two are intertwined. Yeah, this was such a tough thing to do. I didn't know if I wanted to actually do it. Such a, a You have visuals when you hear the music. Yeah. And you, you're inherently, you want to talk about the, the visuals. Like we, oh, we did an episode of, of Spice... And we kept talking about Spice World, but like it was more about the music rather than here. There was a lot more about the movie. I, I still wanted to talk about La La Land because the music was so profound. Like yeah. you could stand alone listen to this as an album, but if you if you haven't seen the movie, you should because it's adds such another depth to everything. And you should also see Whiplash. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I haven't seen Whiplash yet. Oh my really? gosh! Really have you not. Oh, you said it. Yeah. Love yeah. It. Oh, yeah, you I don't know. Some people were really upset about um, the jazz drumming aspect of it. Fuck like em. it wasn't. I mean, it's a movie. It's like people being mad about the Martian not having real science in it. They can be thing. really mad. I don't give a fuck. You should he watch was, that movie. It's a good movie. Miles Teller was really a drummer. Um, here are my final thoughts. You know how like we come full circle sometimes with like vinyl records and uh, you know, like yeah, once VHS was tapes. old is now new again. Yeah, exactly. Like we, we reaffirm things that mm-hmm. were cool, uh, at a later point or an earlier point. Thank you, Damien Chazelle and Justin Horowitz to do 
to do what I think you're about to do. I don't think you've done it yet, but I think you're about to. I think you're about to make musicals cool again. And I think well, you're... them and Lin-Manuel. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Totally, Lin-Manuel Miranda and Disney. I think you're about to make like these Broadway, CinemaScope masterpieces uh, trendy. And I think that's fucking awesome for guys like me and Billy and, and women like Diana and Patty in our like early 30s, late 20s who look at that and go, fuck yeah, that's so much better than what could be out there. And f- you know what? It's good I'm because very it's happy a about that. It's great because it's a gateway back to a lot of cool art and music and yep. and things out there like that you might not normally be exposed to if you just went to see the new The Rock movie. And if uh, <laughs> you mean Rampage or whatever the fuck. I mean, yeah, yeah. If Damien Chazelle did get, and he did, this isn't like hypothetical, If he it, when he did get you know, two Oscar noms for fucking two movies. And the dude's like 31, 29. I don't even know. This is the, this is going to be a thing. This is going to be real. There'll be a musical every four years and a musical will get best picture in the next 10. That I can guarantee you. Bold statements. I'll bet you a dollar on it. All right, you're on. (laughs) Gotcha. I'll give you a dollar now for, uh, just to clear my bet. Nice. Okay, well, that was fun. Thanks for yeah. having us, Bill. Well, thanks for coming on, guys. It was a lot of fun talking. Yeah, thanks, Billy. Hopefully we can do this again. Maybe we'll do it for Whiplash. That'd be sweet. Let's yes. do it for First Man. I'm sure he'll have some <laughs> song about fucking going <laughs> on the moon. And... Well, thanks again, guys. Uh, it's... See you later. I'll see you right when you press that button, actually. But uh... Wait for it.